windier weather on Tuesday and Wednesday. Temperatures some 20 degrees Celsius at the observatory. Relative humidity 70%. That's the news and the weather from us here at RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. To start off uh, today's programme, we'll hear more about the Lunar New Year Parade, which is making a welcome comeback next month after a five-year hiatus. Later, we'll talk about Hong Kong's potential as a global fashion hub. The Business and Professionals Alliance is suggesting the establishment of a new body to oversee fashion and textiles to help diversify our economy. While Hong Kong already has uh, incubation programs in place to support fashion startups, industry figures believe more could be done to internationalize locally produced brands. At the same time, efforts are ongoing to introduce more sustainability and other environmental considerations into the fashion and clothing industry. You can uh, let us know what you think. Uh, can Hong Kong become Asia's fashion capital? Uh, you can leave a message here on our Facebook page, uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us on 233-88266. But uh, as mentioned, uh, for the first uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's uh, programme. We're going to be hearing more about the uh, Lunar New Year Parade, which is uh, coming up on February the 10th. And to tell us more, we're now joined uh, on the line by Raymond Chan, uh, General Manager, Event and Product Development with the Hong Kong Tourism Board. Uh, Raymond Chan, good morning to you. Good morning, Jimmy Mai. Thank you for having me this morning. Yeah, well, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, so we haven't seen the Lunar New Year Parade since uh, early 2019. Uh, there's bound to be a, a lot of uh, excitement generated uh, uh, about it. Just, uh, just tell us how uh, this one is going to be particularly uh, dif uh, different and spectacular. Absolutely. Uh, actually, as, as we all know, the Chinese New Year has been a very... Uh, is one of the major tradition and festival in Hong Kong. And the International Chinese New Year Night Parade has been a signature event of Hong Kong for so many years. And we are so looking forward to the return after five years this time. So that's, that's why we have a, a theme for this year. It's called World Party Great Celebrations. We are inviting a lot of international teams to come to Hong Kong to celebrate the Chinese New Year with us. So the, one of the highlights for this year is actually we have the largest ever number of performing teams, both locally as well as internationally. So Raymond, so, how many floats yeah. will there be in total? Well, that would be nine floats uh, in total um, uh, this year. And I think one of the, uh, well, as we are actually welcoming the Year of Dragons. So as you can expect, as you can expect that there will be a lot of like decorations about dragon on all the floors, including some of the like Chinese New Year um, characters, including like blue, blooming flowers, lucky windmills, firecrackers, etc. And one of the uh, highlights this year is actually we have a new, uh, a, one of, we have a newcomer, uh, one of the very popular cartoon IP called Mr. Big and Little Miss. This is their first time to join the flow, I mean, uh, to, to join the uh, Chinese New Year parade with the flows. So there will be like some characters from the cartoon to perform on the flows as well. Which countries are sending uh, participants? 
Okay, in terms of the international performing teams, we actually have like 12 countries and regions. Altogether, we have 16 teams this, this time coming from around the world, uh, including some of the like cultural dancers from the mainland, Korea, Japan. We also have some like um, giant puppet from Spain, uh, a mini circus group from the Netherlands, and also we have some sports elements in, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the performance, including the rope skipping crossover between Hong Kong and Japan teams. And we also have some like fantastic cheerleaders from the U.S. And of course, this year one of the highlights is actually we are going to have a Jap- Japanese all-female group, pop dance group uh, called Abagani. They have been they, they actually started their appearance in America's Got Talent a few years back, and then they also perform in the Japan's New Year Eve music battle this this year. So they are going to perform at the Chinese New Year parade this time. Well, it sounds spectacular. Uh, how many people are you expecting to watch? Well, uh, throughout the whole event, like um, we are expecting one hundred fifty thousand people spectators. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, uh, the number is actually like pretty much the same as back in twenty nineteen. Right. Well, I certainly hope so. Yeah. I remember watching the parades in the past. Um, was there? Who yeah. seemed to finish with a group of Cathay uh, flight attendants? Are they going to be back? Yes, that's why. Because Cathay is our uh, is our title sponsor, yeah. and so they will actually have their own flow as, as well as the performance by their flight attendants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to give the event its uh, its full title, it's going to be the the year. Uh, it's going to be the Cathay International Chinese New Year Night Parade. Uh, correct. And uh, correct. And, and of course, uh, it's ushering in the year of the dragon. So, like you say, the the dragon is going to be uh, a very prominent uh, symbol during this event. Absolutely. Mm, mm. Yeah. Great, great. Actually, uh, Mike mentioned just now about how many people you're expecting to come. About uh, so about 150,000. I, I believe you expect about 30 uh, percent of those to be tourists. Yeah, we are expecting at least 30 percent of them are tourists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where would they be coming from mostly? Uh, across the border, well, main, mainland China or uh, internationally? China, as well as from some, from, the, from some of the short haul markets, including Southeast Asia, Japan, and Korea. Mm. Okay, okay. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, so uh, the, the, actually the route that the parade is going to take, that's a familiar one, isn't it? Starting from the cultural yeah, centre and then going up. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah basically just the route will be actually the same as back in 2019. It will start mm-hmm. from the cultural centre and then it will, it will parade along the, uh, along the roads uh, on Canton Road and then all the way back to Nathan Road and then ends at, ends in front of the Sheraton Hotel. Mm. All right, and there's a stand there for VIP guests, if I remember correctly? Uh, there will be actually like some different kind of like uh, uh, sitting areas uh, because we're going to sell the tickets starting from the, from the 27th of January. Right, of course the other Asian countries also celebrate what they call the Lunar New Year. I don't want... Don't want to trip you up here. <laughs> Are we going to emphasize that it's the Chinese New Year or is it the Lunar New Year? Well, basically, I think the, the contest is pretty much the same. I mean, uh, it's, uh, but in Hong Kong, I think we also use both Chinese New Year as well as Lunar New Year here. But, I mean, for our event, we are going to use International Chinese New Year Night Parade. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. I just didn't want you tripping up there. <laughs> <Don't want laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so, so tell us about the uh, uh, ticketing arrangements then. Okay, uh, the ticketing, as I said, will start on the 27th of January, and then uh, people can actually like buy the tickets at our uh, visitor center in uh, in Jim Sartre, the one um, by the, uh, at the staff area pier. 
Mm-hmm. All tickets will be available on a first come first uh, first come first served basis, and there will be like five uh, three different kind of categories, ranging from three hundred dollars to four eighty. Mm. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, okay. And then, uh, so these are tickets available for viewing places uh, along the route? Correct. Yeah. Uh, there will be like different zone areas, I mean, like, because they have like different uh, price category. And then, of course, there will be like some standing um, area, which people might have to queue a little bit earlier. Mm. But will there be anywhere that you can watch without paying any money? Yes, absolutely. There, there will be actually a live broadcast uh, uh, for the whole event um, on TV. All right. Mm. Mm. But uh, how about on the street? You've got to have on a ticket. Uh, uh, well, basically, like, uh, because along the whole parade route, I mean, there will be a lot of like other standing areas that people can actually like stand there to watch the whole event. But uh, as I said, because we are expecting quite a lot of people, so... In case any any locals as well as overseas tourists want to like to stand there to watch, uh, they might have to be there a little bit earlier in order to get the space. Yeah, yeah, quite. Yeah, so so you can find a place on Canton Road or or Haiphong Road or Nathan yeah, Road. Yeah, Haiphong Road and all the way yeah. to Nathan Road. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And and now uh, this uh, Lunar New Year parade, it kind of uh, it kicks off a series of events, doesn't it, over the over the New Year holiday, which I I guess you'll also exactly. be hoping will draw the crowds in because we got the we got the fireworks display uh, the next yep. day. I mean, what, 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 so what else can people uh, look forward to over the uh, over the uh, Lunar New Year, the Chinese New Year? Exactly. Actually, like, um, I mean, even though the Chinese New Year parade is actually like the kickoff of the uh, Chinese New Year activities, but in fact, the, uh, all the flows, I mean, not all, sorry, uh, seven, seven flows will be actually like display at uh, Jim Sajui East at, at the, at the um, Urban Council uh, Centenary Garden in Jim Sajui East for two weeks for, uh, from 11th February to 25th February. All right. So and after, uh, after the parade itself, we still be able to see some of the most exciting floats? Exactly. I mean, seven out of nine will be actually displayed at, uh, at the garden for two weeks, so people can actually go there to, to take pictures. And then on the second day and the third day of the Chinese New Year, we are still having some international performing teams perform at that at, uh, at the venue as well. All right. And then on the second day of the uh, of the Chinese New Year holiday, as, as you mentioned, uh, there will be like a firework display in the evening. And then on the third day of the Chinese New Year holiday, there will be horse racing. And in fact. Uh, the Chinese the Chinese New Year activities not just started on the first day. As you know, like this, this is a major Chinese tradition that the there will be like flower markets. Then flower night markets actually starts one week before Chinese New Year, and there will be like I think there will be like a total of fifteen different locations across Hong Kong for having uh, for organizing the the flower night markets. How how long does the parade itself take to go past? I'm sorry. How long does the parade take? To go uh, one one hour and forty five minutes. One hour and forty five minutes. Mm. Yeah, okay. it starts at eight p.m. and then it will ends at around nine forty five. Great. And so, uh, what kind of message are you hoping to send out to the uh, international community from, uh, you know, the revival of this parade and and the other events? Well, this is the first time that we are staging the Chinese New Year parade after five years. So. Definitely, we wanted to uh, invite more international visitors to come to Hong Kong to celebrate with us, and that's why, and that's why we have the most number of international teams this year. So the message is actually we are getting a lot of like different people from around the world to come to Hong Kong to celebrate with us. Yeah. So yeah. Hong Kong is back, yeah. and we're still international. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
yeah. Just, uh, just, uh, just a, li a little bit more about the contents of the parade. I mean, you, you mentioned the the Japanese uh, uh, dance group Avant Garde. Uh, there's also uh, the the light dancers from Spain, aren't they? They've got this. They have like these giant puppets, which look. Yes. Uh, look quite oh, we also have like because we also have some teams from Europe, especially from Spain, from Netherlands, Germany, etc. And us and in, which include the light dancers from Spain, and mm. also we have the giant. Uh, uh, lighting puppets uh, um, is from the um, uh, from Spain as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, uh, and also, of course, as I, there will be actually some carnival performance team from the Philippines as well as to Sp for, as well as Spain. Actually, the one from Philippines actually has won uh, quite a quite a number of international awards. Mm, okay, and, and cheerleaders as well from the US. Absolutely. Cheerleaders yeah. actually plays a very important role in our Chinese New Year parade every time. So we are very glad that we, uh, we have invited the, uh, the team from the U.S. this time. And uh, they're actually very busy in, back in the U.S. right now, but uh, they have confirmed their appearance in the, in the, in the parade um, next month. Are they, are they going to catch cold in those outfits? No worries. I mean, they're, 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 they're professionals. <laughs> yeah. And expending lots of energy as well. Oh, so, I guess. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, an hour and yeah. 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Better have some blankets <laughs> ready for them at the yeah, end. Great, great. OK, wonderful. Well, we're, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us uh, on this morning's programme uh, to tell us uh, more about uh, the uh, Lunar New Year Parade. Um, uh, thank you very much. That was Ra Raymond Chan, General Manager for uh, Event and Product Development at the Hong Kong Tourism Board. OK, now we're going to turn our attention to our main uh, topic uh, of this morning's programme, and that is the Hong Kong uh, fashion industry and the potential of Hong Kong to uh, become a global uh, fashion hub. Um, there are various um, angles to this. Um, uh, uh, an economic one, of course, um, a sustainability angle, uh, the importance of this uh, to tourism, um, various aspects of the fashion industry, and we have uh, guests uh, with us to discuss this. Um, on the on the on the economic side, I think we were expecting. Uh, we're expecting, uh, we do have now, um, uh, Rita Lee, Associate Professor in Economics from Hong Kong Xuyan University. Uh, let me just say at this point, we, we, have, we have another two very interesting guests uh, in the studio uh, with us who we're going to hear uh, more from uh, a little later. So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, and, and please do uh, just sit, uh, sit tight for a little while. Let's hear what Rita's got to say. And then uh, for the last half hour of the show, we'll discuss... Uh, like your interests uh, in the business. Um, uh, Rita Lee, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. So um, we have uh, a suggestion uh, from the Business and Professionals Alliance of, of uh, the establishment of, uh, of a, a special uh, body to promote uh, the uh, Hong Kong to, um, fashion sector. Well, what do you think of that idea? Well, uh, actually, uh, the idea is quite good uh, because actually still the clothing uh, industry is an important set of the Hong Kong manufacturing and one of the largest cities' uh, employers. Uh, we have got uh, 430 establishments and also 2,560 workers in, uh, uh, in, Hong, uh, in Hong Kong. And then um, uh, we have got uh, some kind of the technologies for which that, uh, we are developing. Uh, where we uh, Hong Kong, we have got the potential to become a regional sustainable technology faction hub. 
So uh, we have got some of the. Uh, uh, if we look at um, uh, some of the uh, some of the information from the Hong Kong Trade and also Development Council, uh, we found that. Um, uh, in Hong Kong, we have well, the, uh, 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 one of the case is uh, Hong Kong uh, Research Institute of the Textiles and Apparel, a partnership of the H&M Foundation, where they have developed a kind of like hydrothermal separation treatment, uh, kind of like green machine, which can separate the recycled cotton and also polyester blends mm-hmm. into some kind of new fibers and also cellulose powder. And then uh, this kind of things that they have already set up in 2020, uh, what they say is that they have got the capacity of like dealing with this kind of the issues of with the 1.5 tons per day. And then uh, this kind of things that it has already uh, uh, co-investing with like some uh, U.S. like 100 million dollars uh, from 2021 onwards, and then they uh, developed and commercial commercialized that some kind of the like, sustainable technologies to uh, reduce the carbon dioxide uh, uh, that uh, you can uh, capturing uh, through the cellulose uh, textiles. And then uh, this kind of things that I think it is uh, what Hong Kong can do because uh, Hong Kong we have got a very strong sense in sustainability. At the same time, we have a lot of the technology person. So we, I think we cannot just uh, rely on like the traditional type of like garments and then clothing industry to fertilize our our so-called like, clothing industry. But Hong Kong is very strong in like sustainability, uh, in like technology because uh, you can if you just look at all the universities around us, uh, many of the more I would say all the universities are talking about like AI. All the universities are trying to do some research that is related to the technology side. And then uh, we if we try to put that into like clothing, then it is something for which is new. And the EU side, for example, EU side is also uh, uh, have got such kind of a new demand. And then, uh, uh, therefore, uh, uh, when we look at these figures, then uh, we have got some of the uh, some of the new things that can bring into the city. And at the same time, if you try to look at like Milan, for example, Milan is uh, one of the uh, high-end uh, clothing industry uh, a place where you can find that uh, the things are actually substantially much more expensive than the places around uh, uh, in Italy. But it can still survive. So what we can tell is that well, uh, we uh, we can actually rely on some of the uh, some of the industry like this, and then uh, to uh, to continue our high-end uh, market. Uh, we don't need to com- uh, compete with like the uh, low-end uh, kind of like uh, industries or activities like clothing uh, around us, but we can do something more than that. Do Hong Kong, good morning, reader. Do Hong Kong companies design here and manufacture elsewhere, or they design and manufacture here? Well, actually, uh, in case of like, for example, in case of uh, the H&M, uh, that kind of like uh, uh, collaboration with the Institute and Textiles, uh, we will see that they uh, have also do like manufacturing. Uh, uh, the manufacturing part, however, is in Indonesia instead of like in Hong Kong. So in Hong Kong side, I think it is like focusing on those like research. Uh, and then uh, so as like some of the uh, development, some of kind, some kind of like uh, technologies to help us to do something more rather than just uh, manufacturing on our side. So something that is similar to if we go to like Australia, we have a lot of like uh, design that takes place in Australia. But in terms of like manufacturing that uh, the product that may be manufactured by some of the developing countries instead. So we have to uh, consider so what is our major 
uh, uh, advantage and also competitive points so that we can do something much more uh, in a competitive way. Yeah, I mean, is it, are we re- renowned for flair or creativity? What is it that we're good at? Well, we are actually very good at, uh, like, for some of the tech side and then sustainability concepts. Uh, because uh, uh, if we talk about, like, other places or, like, developing countries, for example, uh, sustainability is not their concern. Uh, they do not have got a mindset like this. So uh, developing countries, what, we thought, what they are lacking of is a kind of, like, sustainability mindset. They actually do. They are not aware of that. But then uh, if we talk about like the high-end uh, clothing industry, it is already uh, moving to the sustainability and also the technology side. So that is something for which like, it is like uh, a kind of things that are uh, in the fashion aspect that we are moving to that side. And then uh, we, uh, we also need to have got some of the uh, new idea because like why I buy Hong Kong clothing, why not I buy something from like Guangzhou or like online store, there are a lot of the choices. Uh, why then the people would like to buy in the store in Hong Kong? Then we have got a question here. So if we try to have got some kind of the new concept, new idea, like they are very, they are sustainable, and then uh, they are like they are fashionable. The design is new. Then the people will buy, will come and buy from Hong Kong this, rather than they buy from somewhere yeah, you, uh, been, like you, Bangladesh, you, you, for example. You mentioned earlier that uh, TDC Trade Development Council uh, yes. uh, report, and it makes the point that there there is a lot of expertise here, isn't there, in uh, in areas like uh, uh, sourcing fabrics and so on. Um, and then um, uh, also, uh, I think you mentioned. Um, the import-export side of fashion employs about 60,000 people here. So, I mean, h- how important is it, like, overall to the economy? Well, um, to the overall economy, of course, it is not comparable to, like, for example, finance and also real estate. But one thing that is, like, pretty sure is that a healthy economy, uh, as a healthy economy, we need to have got more than one economic pillar. We cannot just say that, well, because like finance is good, real estate is good, tourism is good, then we just focus on and vote light on these three industries. And the other industries, then we just uh, uh, do not, uh, uh, do not uh, put any effort on that. Uh, because uh, uh, in the case of like uh, 2019, in case of like COVID, for example, it just tells us that when we cannot offer reliance on one industry only. So if we rely uh, in some of the places, for example, they have got a very huge reliance on like tourism industry. So once the tourism, they have got problem, then the city economy will suffer a lot. So uh, in the present scenario, what we have to do is that we have to think of something for which that we can do it in a high end rate. For which that we do not need to have got a lot of of space because in Hong Kong, space is the most expensive one. I've been reading that certain amount of controversy, people buying an item of clothing and wearing it only once and then throwing it away. Yeah, yeah, this is what, what is this happening, right? So, however, what Hong Kong is trying to do, and Hong Kong have got this kind of a green tech, is that when you throw away their clothes and then they collect, they collect all the clothes and then turn the clothes into, like, garment and then we, we, and then, uh, we make it into new clothes. This kind of thing is that Hong Kong has got a technology. We have this kind of technology already, and then already in place, and then uh, which can actually reduce the waste. Uh, because Hong Kong, we are talking about like landfill. We have no more landfill, and then uh, starting from first of April, 
we have to charge the rubbish uh, garbage fee, right? So yeah. this become another turning point for which that we can uh, we can boost our uh, fashion uh, green uh, tech fashion. Yes, because there's a lot of clothing dumped every year, isn't there? Yes, exactly. And then there are, this, is, this is not just Hong Kong. It is like a global phenomenon. People buy their clothing, especially in case of like popularity in online store. We buy a lot of clothing from the online store. And then we think that, well, it looks good, right? But by the time you buy it, you think that, well, the size does not match, the color does not match, or whatever, it does not match, or it does not match the style, or whatsoever reason. So that you buy it, and then you just uh, uh, eventually go into landfill, and then you have to pay for the extra garbage fee, right? But what the, what the Hong, Kong now, Hong Kong people are now doing, you can see that a lot of the places where they have got, like, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the recycling uh, place, they have a lot of people that they carry the so-called rubbish uh, from one MTR station to another MTR station so as to reduce the waste going to landfill uh, before before the garbage fee uh, uh, will be charged next uh, uh, next, uh, next few months. Uh, what we have seen is that where Hong Kong has uh, Hong Kongers uh, have got a rather high and good education uh, 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 and then uh, we, ha- we have uh, kind of new, uh, we, we actually are aware of the fact that we have to do something in a sustainable way. So this also implies that we have uh, room for development into a kind of like uh, green tech faction uh, 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 technologies uh, in Hong Kong so as to uh, reduce the race, uh, number one. Number two is that uh, to establish a new brand in Hong Kong uh, rather than we just have got like uh, 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 finance, which we have seen that <laughs> the okay. finance market is not performing so, good. All right. Okay, well, well thank you very much uh, for joining. I know you have to go at uh, 9.30, but thanks very much for joining us for uh, this uh, segment of the programme. Uh, that was uh, Rita Lee, Associate Professor in Economics at Hong Kong Shuyan University. Um, uh, stay with us because we're going to continue to talk about uh, the uh, topic of uh, fashion, um, Hong Kong's uh, role in um, hopefully becoming a, a more of a global uh, fashion hub and different uh, aspects of that in just a moment. We're going to take a, a very short break uh, for the uh, news. Quick look at the weather. Fine. Uh, during the day, top temperature around 25 degrees. Uh, the outlook, uh, windy tomorrow and on Wednesday, a warm during the day in the latter part of the week, but temperatures falling appreciably next Sunday and in the following couple of days. It's now 21 degrees, humidity 69%. And here's a new summary with Stu Pryke. Police are investigating a traffic accident in Wenchai yesterday evening in which two taxi passengers died. The incident happened just before 9.30pm when their taxi collided with a bus at the junction of Fleming Road and Harbour Road. The passengers, a 47-year-old woman and a 59-year-old man, were unconscious when taken to hospital where they were declared dead. The taxi driver, a 33-year-old woman, remains in hospital and police have arrested her on suspicion of dangerous driving causing death. North Korea says a ballistic missile it test-fired towards the Sea of Japan yesterday uh, was a solid fuel hypersonic missile with a mid to long range and police in Britain investigating a plot to disrupt the London Stock Exchange have arrested six people. They were detained in Liverpool, London and Brighton on suspicion of conspiracy to cause criminal damage after information from a newspaper indicated that pro-Palestinian activists were intending to target the building and prevent it opening today. When you see the Enmark logo, you know that you're watching a world-class sports event. 
You are watching Hong Kong's elite athletes compete for honors with other leading international sports stars. Join us in supporting Hong Kong's athletes. Come and enjoy the excitement of NMARC events, Hong Kong's top sporting events. To find out more, please visit www.mevents.org.hk. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And welcome back to Back Chats with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And uh, this morning we're going to continue our conversation about uh, Hong Kong's uh, uh, position as a fashion hub. Uh, we have uh, with us uh, in the studio um, Morgan uh, Parizeau, who's a strategic education director of the environmental NGO Redress, working to reduce waste in the fashion industry. Uh, thanks for joining us. Good morning. And also uh, Roshan Melwani, who's a, a director of uh, Sam's Taylor in Chim Sa Choi. And, uh, okay, just before we hear um, about uh, bespoke uh, tailoring, which, of course, is very sort of high profile and, uh, and well-known in Hong Kong, um, uh, let's uh, just pick up on what Rita Lee was saying uh, before the break there about sustainability, because that's, that's your area, isn't it, uh, Morgan? So, uh, so how, how are we doing in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Hong Kong situation is a little bit challenging at the moment when we look at textile waste. Um, she did, Rita did mention that, you know, we, we have a lot of waste going. We're going to have, you know, paid schemes soon uh, for waste. Just want to throw here a stat maybe to, so that we understand what the issue is at hand here. Um, so we've got about 400 tons going to landfill textile, 400 tons of textile going to landfill daily. Mm. in Hong Kong, mm. roughly, wow. which, you know, some of it is from consumers, some of it is from industry, um, but that's a lot um, that, you know, we are basically not valuing, um, and that's a financial loss, um, and that's obviously an environmental uh, issue as mm. well. And, and is this a result of fast fashion, you know, people buying a, buying a garment, wearing it once, and then... Yeah. Not again and chucking it away. <laughs> you know what I've always wondered is three most important things to, to humans, right? One is a roof over the head. Mm -hmm. Second is fuel, and I'm talking yeah. about food and drink. And third is clothing. We can't walk around naked, right? Mm. So for years and years and years, we've got wonderful recycle bins, rubbish bins, where you can put your aluminium, your plastic, mm -hmm. your food. Why can't we have that for clothes? Why can't we have that clothes? Look, we have many organizations, okay, and have had so for decades where we can hand clothes over to. And people are still not responding to that on mass. I mean, we're, we're a lot better now than when I was growing up, okay, in, in terms of giving to the needy. But people are still not responding to that on mass. Why can't we have clothing recycle bins? Why can't they just be there alongside everything else? I think um, it's a twofold situation. I would say the first one is around education because um, we might not quite understand, you know, why are we getting rid of our clothes and then like what happens to these clothes and then why would I need to give them back to some institution to do something about it, recycle them or, you know, repair them, revalue. So I think there's a lot of work still to be done in that area. The second thing, which is a little bit more critical in a way, is the technology, as Rita said, you know, is is evolving, um, but it's not there yet. Yeah. And it's not there yet at scale. So um, recycling clothes, yeah, a great idea, but actually not quite there in terms of tackling 400 tons of textile is anywhere, every day. Is there anywhere in the region where they are there? There are 
there for certain types of textile and certain fibers and certain fiber mixes. And the reality is um, the textile waste that we have is all types of colors, all types of textile, mm-hmm. uh, not always in the best shape with different trims, you know, zippers, buttons, things like this that the machines can't process yet. Um, and so a lot of the industry needs to kind of ramp up uh, and invest in. It's not a very sexy industry to invest in. Would it still be, would it be very uh, labor intensive in a sense to sort the different yes. kinds as you were talking about the complications Absolutely. of zips and buttons and everything. Absolutely. And in Hong Kong, we don't quite have that at scale, let's say. But if you go to places like India, they're known to be a recycling hub and you would go to factories and actually see tons of people sitting on the floor and and having to kind of unpack all that waste and you know sort out okay this is cotton this is a blend this has buttons we take them out and so this is very uh, old school industry at the moment and there's and nothing wrong with old school i made a career in old school wrong. But, you know what you're saying is amazing can we not sell that t- type of waste to india at, at the moment is because the country accepts it and has a robust industry based on it, um, I strongly believe that we should have a recycling industry in every single country. May it be more we're, developed or less step developed. Well, we've got to collect it. Yes. At and the moment, which is what we, don't, I brought do, we yeah. don't collect. We col- collection is a part of the issue, but it's not the major issue, actually, when we're facing waste. So collection rates are up and... You know, when we look at governmental institutions that have the bins um, that you see in public housing or like around the city, they collect here and they send out to NGOs. An NGO like us at Redress will also have take back programs so that we can get waste and process it and either, you know, revalue it as a government form or deal with it so there's an end in landfill. So mm. collection exists. The part of what do we do with it is a bit more challenging. But the, what, the, the volume, the numbers you've talked about are massive. They are massive. Yeah. As, we, as an influencer, I'd love to help you mm-hmm. to shine a some sort of spotlight in order to educate people. And I've got the vehicle to deliver your message. Well, you're talking about this, actually. A big spotlight is going to be in May uh, this year. We have this program that's called Get Redress Month. Okay. Um, and this is a program where um, we invite the entire city to be part of. And when I say the entire city, that means consumers, of course, but also co- corporates, companies, schools, um, to... Um, come together, set up collection bins everywhere. We also offer talks, we offer workshops, um, and we have this, you know, at the end of this whole collection scheme, we have this big, giant clothing sorting. And this is usually kind of the aha moment for a lot of consumers and, you know, everyday people that do not work in fashion to really understand what the issue is and how they can, on their part, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe change their habits a little bit and adapt okay. so that they don't generate as much. Uh, so May uh, 2024. Okay, okay well, let, let's just uh, sort of introduce a new element into the conversation sure. as well. So, so, um, so uh, Roshan Malwani, um, in terms of the, t- the tailoring business, mm-hmm. uh, how, how, how much of an impact are these uh, environmental concerns having for you? None. Right. I think we've made a career in sustainable fashion. Uh, I'm going to Virtually every guy, that doesn't mean we don't work with women, Mm -hmm. virtually every guy historically now, when I started 25 years ago, when my grandfather started 66 years ago, needs a suit. Suits last. Suits are there forever. Mike will attest to this. I will (laughs) attest to this. And 
since my stewardship, since the start of my stewardship, one of the pledges that I have made, and I won an environmental award from our government in 2009 and 2010 for my green shirt bag, but one of the pledges that I've made to all my clients, and this benefits my business, is that I will constantly and continuously alter your clothing for you free of charge. Mike will attest to this. So you can continue to wear it, but just not just alter it in size, give it a full refreshment, a full refurbishment. Because the stuff I make is built to last. Mm -hmm. The stuff I make is iconic and it can be handed down, it can be pulled out again a year or two, a decade or two later, and very well worn. And and we talk about education and education has to start somewhere. And I don't have a microphone or a position to dictate to the entire city. But what I do do is have a platform to sit and educate all my clients, whether it's one-on-one -on -one, in person or on a live stream, into how to extract the most use out of the clothing that I give them. And it's just the basics. Look, you've got a suit, but your suit is also a jacket that can be worn with anything and a pair of pants that can be worn with anything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I have been extolling the virtues of that and extolling the utility of, of, of the clothing that I, that I make for decades now. One of the main things that I tell my clients, the foremost thing that I tell my clients is that there's no value to your clothing sitting in your wardrobe. It's like air miles. You don't get any value until you actually use them, all right? The only thing you should save is money. Clothes you need to wear and wear and wear and wear over and over again. And alongside the products that I make, I am happy to preach and educate to all my clients uh, how to manage their wardrobe and get the most value from it. And, and people appreciate it. And, and, and that's why my clients flock to me uh, because I produce old school, absolutely incredible, sustainable clothing yeah. with all these modern nuances. And Morgan, you know, I, 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 I'm very happy to meet you today. And whatever product and message you're putting out, I want to offer you all my media platforms to put them on. I'd love to join you yeah, uh, uh, in this crusade. And, and we'd love to have you because, I mean, <laughs> the more the merrier on yeah. this. We need to rally together. So I, ha I have such a huge local young following, right? It, it would be great for me and for you guys mm -hmm. to put your content out on my media. Absolutely. And I think I want to kind of jump back on what you said, because, you know, when we talk about sustainability, a lot of people think recycling. Mm -hmm. um, and recycling is good because, you know, you, you recover fibers, you revalue, um, your waste is not waste, it's your new raw material. But before that, there's really the idea of There's longevity and longevity is, is ma making sure you circulate products uh, making sure that your products have many lives if not a long life with you then you know they'll you'll and, hand them and this down. starts in every household okay education mm -hmm. is key because this starts in every household i have two daughters and one son okay we're not talking about hand-me-downs here we're talking about great products that can be used by our offspring my wife i've been married to gosh how many mike would know better than i would okay but how many handbags does my wife have okay they're all still there they all still were maintained and i have a 14 year old and 13 year old who i encourage to use them like why buy garbage from fast fashion mm -hmm. when you've got your mum's stuff that 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 you're, that you're not using and that sort of education can be implemented in every household. You have to build on a foundation, and that's a wonderful foundation to build on. Mm. And my, the suits that you make for me 
I've still got them. They just what? don't die, do they? They don't die. They don't die, right? I mean, I got suits from your grandfather. So <laughs> what, one of the great selling points of Sam's Taylor is that we make suits that don't die, right? That, that, that's why people flock to us. Uh, we understand. We understand. You know, I've, I've, I've done so many interviews, you know, on TV, and someone said, people, every compare is like, hasn't fast fashion been decimating for your industry? I'm like, no, it's the absolute opposite. Fast fashion has shone such a spotlight on, on educating all of us about sustainability that people continue to flock to me. You have to evolve. You evolve across every spectrum, a political spectrum, a scientific spectrum. I think I, they'll only be hand-me-downs when my sons grow a bit bigger. <laughs> so, but, well, but, you get but, them so my own, my, my, my own, my own service is, and it will, will Michael is what Michael will attest to as well. Is that look, fathers will bring stuff in. Look, I, I can't wear this anymore. I don't need to wear this anymore. I've retired. Can you alter it for my son? I said done. It might irk my father sometimes. It might irk my uncle sometimes. The partners in the business, but I'm like, look, I know what I'm doing. Okay, and this is how you build brand reputation, and this is how you educate young people, and this is how you draw people in. By being a leader, and even if, it, if it's a small industry, but by being a leader of sustainability in your small industry, people will respect you. They will be attracted to you. Sorry, I was just going to say that, I mean, Hong Kong is is very well known for tailoring yes uh, and in, internationally as well i mean i think i think some people actually come to hong kong to have their very to have much their so. clothes made or, or or a number of hong kong tailors uh, go overseas to take orders and do and do measuring and so on i mean uh, um how much of a of a positive impact do you think that has on on tourism for instance i think it has a massive impact on tourism let's talk about me specifically okay and there's been many articles about other tailors as well 100% the New York Times, Washington Post, the Times of London. Fly to Hong Kong, stay at the Mandarin, purchase a suit from Sam's Taylor. It's cheaper. It's still cheaper than buying one back home. Uh, the tailoring industry had, is, is a huge boon for tourism. It always has been. Okay, we had a massive slowdown over COVID because people just couldn't come. But now that the gates are open, people are returning. And high on their agenda is a suit from a Hong Kong tailor. I've also noticed that some of the Hong Kong tailors who've been here for decades have relocated. Uh, have, have we lost a few? I think if you didn't have stacks of cash behind you, you just couldn't survive COVID. Twofold, one, no tourists, no business travellers were coming. Okay, right. uh, That's the, the, the foreign spectrum. But the local spectrum was like two years work from home, no graduation, no balls, no cocktails, no weddings, no events. Mm -hmm. You, you can't, just can't support yourself on that. If you don't own your property, if you don't have decades of cash behind you, you just can't continue. We had no pathway to opening, as you guys know. Every two weeks, uh, the, uh, the Honorable Carrie Lam would say, another two weeks, another two <laughs> weeks. And that went on for 37 months. And, you know, in 37 months, any business that has no business will just dry up. And the weddings also seem to have moved Abroad. from the evening to the... To lunchtime. Which is great for me as well. Yeah. Because they still need outfits. They still need outfits. Right. As long as they're getting married. You need them to get married I, in new outfits. I, I need to make people happy. Okay. Yes. And if I'm making people happy uh, and, and, and then actually educating at the same time, not only am I giving them that, that buzz, I'm gaining their respect. Yeah, I was so thinking it works of in favor with the flow-on effect for the uh, entertainment industry in the evening. It's, suddenly it's moved to one, one o'clock. Yes. Lunchtime instead of... Well, things change. When you put people under lockdown and, and they can't go out after 6 p.m., right? And, and, and such a huge number of people, we're talking about an entire city's population, their mood, their, their, their needs, it'll shift. It'll shift. It'll take time to shift back.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's the point. It, we've changed our pattern of living. Yeah. That instead of going to see a film, instead of go, eating out, we're stuck at home watching Netflix. Um, Hopefully that change of pattern of living is also change of pattern for the better. More conscious decisions around what you consume. I I agree with that 100%. I think that when faced with this pandemic and this sudden disease, right, it was such an eye-opener. What that eye-opening has done, it has attuned the global population into seeing many, many different things about the environment, including sustainability. Like, oh my God, if the whole world can be thrown off by a pandemic, then really what the scientists are saying about everything, about the environment and so forth, we've got to start, you know, thinking about that. The world is far more conscious. We're we're, we're lucky to be where we are. Now we need people like Morgan, we need people like the secretary, the professor there to keep pushing forward. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, Morgan, uh, so, I mean, we're talking about two opposite ends of the of the industry here. I suppose there's uh, bespoke tailoring uh, on, the, on the one hand, and then, and then like, uh, fast fashion on the other hand, where, where things are, are used for a very short time and then recycled. So, um, or discarded. Or, 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 yeah, sorry, yeah, recycled or, or in, indeed uh, uh, discarded. Um, what, so... Um, Education is clearly a factor in how mm-hmm. people should, uh, should education ha- handle is the biggest buy factor. and handle their clothing. Yeah, okay. Sure. People yeah, buy clothing for other so, people for, for gifts. I mean, you, you, you're, you're not going to go to a tailor and have a, a suit made or, or shirts made if you, uh, you know, unless you have a reasonable amount of cash, right? I mean, sure. And so, I, so, I, what, so what, 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 what sort of, you know, what sort of message would you, your organization give to people who um, don't have a lot to spend on clothes or don't necessarily need a suit. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think the idea is still the same. When you go buy your suit um, and you go to Sam's Taylor, what you're looking for is quality and a piece Mm -hmm. that you can keep for long and that you'll enjoy having for Mm -hmm. long and wearing for long. If you don't have the need for a suit, if you don't have that much cash laying around, but you still need to get clothed, it's the same principle. It's exactly it, the same You principle. will buy from H&M, maybe you will buy from Zara, you will buy from local brands, you will buy from higher brands. Whatever you're buying, you need to think, is that a piece I will wear for a long time that I will cherish? Uh, is that a piece that is going to sustain time? Like, are, is the make good? Uh, are the seams going to fall apart in two washes? Or are they going to you know, hold, can I actually wash it? Because sometimes you will buy a piece and, you know, the material is so unique, not necessarily in the best way. Flimsy. <laughs> that for, yeah, that you're like, oh, well, I can't probably wash it. I don't know how to care for it. Right. That's an issue. So I think this is just making a conscious decision of, okay, I am buying this piece. It's not actually single-use items. There, there are things that you need to take care of. And the same way you're probably going to buy a piece of furniture and actually wonder, well, is this table going to last me a few years or is it going to break the first time I use it? You should apply to the... And the big brands can help. You can have video or signage saying above a rack of clothing, which is what I do when I'm selling clothing, get this for your big event. After you use it for your big event, two weeks later, use it for your big night out. Three weeks later, use it for a great lunch. And now use it in the gym. Or wherever else. You know I mean, you can put that mantra across. It may sound loony to some people, but it works. It's worked for me, and 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 big brands can do the same. What can the government do here? Should it, mm-hmm. should we have this new body? The problem is they take too long, and I'm not knocking the government. Right? The problem is that 
the body takes too long to develop. And then the world is evolving at a very fast pace. So yes, go ahead and develop the body. But what's wrong? We just have a whole spate of new district councillors. Get them to go into universities and senior schools, high schools, and start preaching on an ad hoc basis if necessary. But, but we've just had COP22 or 23. Now is the time, whilst the iron is hot, to strike that message. <clears throat> and we can strike the message of sustainability. <clears throat> but you've got to go into universities and you've got to go into schools and you've got to educate people. You've got to infect them. I will say, though, I think legislation is very important. Um, and even though it might feel like it's slow and it's maybe not a lot of add value at some times, um, the EU... Um, China, they're moving fast on legislation and they're placing, you know, guards basically that are rail guards that, you know, brands, manufacturers, retailers, like they're all going to have to follow and it's pushing, kicking everyone, you know, <laughs> a little bit faster. And I think legislation is good for this. So I think it is still very important. And when you think that, you know, we are looking at a huge waste problem in Hong Kong. We're also looking at, you know, huge global waste, a global carbon emission issue. I think we need to have a body that can be the counterpart of EU, of China mainland to be able to put in place, you know, similar, um, similar guidelines, similar, um, just legislation in general, because if that doesn't exist, that leaves the door open for any institution to kind of come in and do whatever they want. And there are a lot of companies that, you know, are mindful of their business and are sustainably minded, but there are a lot of companies that are not, or that don't even think about this because they have other priorities to survive or, and here legislation is needed to just tell them, okay, well, this is how you need to operate now. A lot of companies rely on volume. They want of to course. sell a lot. Of course, but also because a lot of manufacturers rely on volume to survive to feed their workers. Yes. So it's all about volume. And that's, that's a bigger conversation around capitalism and how do we, and growth, you know, how, so, how do we yeah. have a little less growth maybe and a little less volume, but still manage to, to survive. So I think we're in a kind of sensitive position right now, especially in fashion, but I'm sure in other goods industry of like, well, how do we manage you know, sustainability and, and growth at the same time. But I think there are still ways to grow and have better products, but also better services. I mean, if you look at, you know, the fashion industry right now, we always think of, okay, buy clothes, buy new clothes. But what about pushing Hong Kong to be, okay, a technology hub when it comes to industry, but also for consumers, a great example for the world to showcase there are repair services, there are second-hand services, there are, you know, adap like adapting. I don't want to call your services repairing, but like readapting and re adapting. And I think the big brands are great at that. If you look at Louis Vuitton, if you look at Hermes, you walk into any store anywhere in the world, doesn't matter where you bought the bag and you give it to them, they'll fix it for you. And Cartier is like that, Rolex is like that. I want to say I agree with you 100% about volume and manufacturers. But, however, there are ways around it, and I'm living proof of it currently. I just launched my own merchandise brand after the summer called plentyofconsent.com. We are using the highest quality of cottons to make merchandise, t-shirts, underwear, uh, caps, and sweaters. <clears throat> Our packaging is all recycled. Everything about what plentyofconsent.com is is sustainable fashion. However, the volume is very low. We're getting it made in Bangladesh because factories in China just won't adhere to our volume. But there are places. If there is a will, there is a way. Mm -hmm. 
we managed to order just 4,000 t-shirts, 600 caps. These are, lit- these are tiny numbers, tiny numbers of uh, uh, about 1,000 pieces of underwear and a few thousand sweaters. But we are selling it at 320 Hong Kong for the sweater. 160 Hong Kong for the t-shirt, $100 for the cap, $100 for a pack of two underwear. These are very low prices. These are fast fashion comparable prices, but made with the highest ended content, uh, uh, raw materials, and packaged in fully recyclable and degradable uh, mm-hmm. packaging. So it can be done. If a small business, a tiny business, mm-hmm. look, think of the numbers that I just uh, spout out. If a tiny business can do it, and someone who is my age is willing to do it, then it can be done. Mm. Are you able to use uh, recycled fabrics at all? We are 100% able to use recycled right. fabrics, and we're so proud of it mm-hmm. and stuff. I, I, I'm so happy launching this venture. And if it takes off, it's going to be amazing for my children. Because there'll still be a world for them to live in. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and earn it. And children are remarkable. And I think the schools, at least the international schools, I, I, I don't know much about the local schools. The international schools are remarkable. The, the, my daughters, who are 14 and 13, are well-versed in what fast fashion is mm-hmm. and the negativity of it and what sustainable fashion is and, and the need for it. So and I think education is key. And, and local schools are getting similar uh, education. <coughs> we go into schools at Redress and actually educate around the subject, international schools yeah. and local schools, working with local programs to make it work. So. And I never shut down legislation. I agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. But what I said is it takes a long time. Of course. But in tandem, okay, we need the government to go in. I think education is key. I will say it over and over again. We need the government to go into schools, both universities and senior schools, and educate, educate the kids. You've got to plant the seed now. Okay, and you've got to keep planting it and keep planting and keep planting like they did when I was young about not throwing garbage on the street, not using plastic bottles. People don't do that. <laughs> There's nobody throwing garbage on the street. You get 25 dirty eyes looking at you. You know what I'm saying? But it took time to get there. But we got there. But that's how humanity works. You're not going to put out a single message one day and everybody's going to listen. You've got to keep going in there like Rocky Balboa and hitting the beef, hitting the beef, hitting the beef. And we can do it. Yeah, and I think we can do it together. I think collaboration is very important. Collaboration is huge, okay? Me and Morgan may be from completely different worlds, but I'm very open to being her poster boy if she would allow me to deliver her message to all my followers. Yeah. And and with legislation as well. We hope that we can all work together with, you know, industry, retailers. What would the law do? Well, the law would could be informed by the realities of what you know manufacturers and retailers need, um, what their struggles are. So they're you know it's realistic, but also what maybe whistleblowers or NGOs or scientists you know um, advise that should be done for for our planet, for economy. And so law would be you know that kind of middle ground that says okay well we all agreed on like this is how we need to operate moving forward oh, okay just briefly because we've only got about mm-hmm. a, min- a minute left but uh, but if we ask you both maybe like 30 seconds each <laughs> what's the, what's the potential for developing hong kong then into a, a center for sustainable fashion huge potential right. there's as rita said there's technology there's investment we, we can and there's experience right. so right. yes okay. absolutely massive there's education okay. yeah. 
and there's proactiveness mm. and awareness. Mm. Mm. Good. All right. Well, look, thank you very much uh, to both of you for joining us on the programme this morning. Um, that was uh, Roshan Melwani, you heard, who's a, a director of uh, Sam's Taylor in Chimsachoy. And uh, thanks very much to uh, Morgan Parizo, Strategic Education Director of the environmental NGO Redress, which works to reduce uh, waste in the fashion industry. Thanks very much to my co-presenter this morning, Mike Morgan. Morgan to come look in my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a revelation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks to our producer uh, Raphael and to uh, our, our technical team. Stay with us because uh, a, a brunch with Noreen is coming up, um, and that is after a news summary at ten.